centuries, uh, dates, and so forth, but to establish the, the winter solstice, of course, as I've reflected many times, uh, when the uh, light element starts returning, the days start getting longer. So this is the shortest day of the year today. So we we watch, we observe the way it is, how things change and move. So we be mindful, using mindfulness as our vehicle, then we we establish this awareness, keep reminding ourselves to be awake, pay attention here and now, just to the way it is on both the conventional level and the and the uh, level of the, the the Dhamma. We can see the conventional realities of millennium, century, December, winter solstice, the, the perceptions that we we give to this time, this moment. And then observing that, uh, knowing that it's Dhamma, is that all conditioned phenomena is impermanent. And so we keep contemplating this impermanent, this transient nature of what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, feel. And in this position of knowing, of witnessing, observing, paying attention, and we're, we're no longer uh, asked to make judgments about it in terms of whether it uh, should or shouldn't be or it's good or bad, but it is what it is at this moment, no matter what you're experiencing, uh, physically or emotionally, mentally, is the way it is. And, so, and it can be pleasant, painful, uh, neutral, uh, but it is changing. When we don't pay attention, then we tend to, 
get caught in our preferences, you know, wanting things to be pleasant, not wanting things to be painful. Uh, when things are neutral, we tend to just get bored and seek seek some kind of uh, kind of exciting or interesting experience or pleasant experience. So, say the samsara or the realm of birth and death is is our delusion that we create endlessly of seeking, wanting to become something, wanting to get rid of something making judgments about how things should be. We come from society, a culture that's very, that's, that has uh, idealized the, how things should be if everything was what we wanted, it was perfect. But the Buddha was pointing to the way it is, the changingness of phenomena rather than it than phenomena at its best or its peak. And in order to to really know this, we, we use this awakened state of mind, rather the observing, the witnessing, the watching, the silent witness or the knower of the way it is, rather than than endlessly trying to control or make life into what we think it should be. Which doesn't mean that we we don't do anything, we just sit a, sit back and witness change. But it means that we and that our actions and our speech are adapted to appropriately to and responding appropriately to the conditions that we are experiencing. Rather than always being caught up in uh, in not noticing how it is and, and live our lives, say, for future rewards. Now, how many of you live your life for the future? Now that you think, you know, you're working hard now or meditating or praying or whatever you're doing is so that you will get some reward for the future, some good result, hopefully. But the future, the only, as they say, the certain thing about the future is that we're all going to die. So that when you contemplate death, and then it gives this moment much more uh, its importance and its uh, significance. That all we ever have, really, is, is the, this present moment. That's all there ever is. So even meditating, when the idea of, of practicing meditation in order to get rid of defilements, get rid of your kilesas, or to purify yourself in order to become pure, or in order to become enlightened in the future, this very assumption of that I am this person, this body, I'm this body and this person here, who needs to do something now in order to become something in the future. If that's your basis, that's what you, you start with, then you'll always end up 
feeling somehow discontented and unfulfilled with your practice because you've not you've not really come to the root of the problem and that you still operating from the basic delusion I am this body I am this person and then I am this person means that there's something where we all see ourselves uh, uh, through in this way through being uh, ourselves in terms of you know faults weaknesses habits and so we 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 uh, naturally assume the logic from that is that there's something wrong with me the way I am now and I need to do something hopefully you know pray a lot or do a lot of good works or or meditate hours on end or become a monk or a nun or or do something in order to become something some ideal state the way I should be in the future so even even though the ordained sangha the, the monks and nuns uh, uh, have this teaching they st- many of you still operate from that basic delusion in your monastic life don't you you still operate from the fact that you're somebody who's got to do something in order to become something but yet the uh, actual value of of say the convention of monasticism is that we give that delusion up basically when we ordain refuges in sangha not in personal karma or the the delusion of being some somebody you know, the idea of being sangha is that you, you lose your your race nationality class identity personality gender identity all your memories are then they're no longer taken in the, in the personal way. The refuge is in sangha rather than in in some kind of ideal that you might have for yourself as a person. So I'm reflecting on this, this I am this person that needs to do something in order to become something, that needs to really be uh, consciously recognized as as something you're creating in the present. Maybe it's an assumption. Maybe it's you, you know just a force of habit. You've never questioned that. You've never examined it in any way. Just, your whole life has been operating from that assumption. I am the this body, this person. So when we when we talking about mindfulness mindfulness is our ability to to observe that it's the, the assumptions we make the assumptions aren't always all that conscious we don't we don't uh, consciously think I am somebody who has to do something in order to become something but we can live our lives with that in, in using that assumption as a basis for uh, and the motivation or becoming monastic, or meditating, or doing something in the world. So, 
the mindfulness, then we we examine that. Like I would just think to myself, you kind of deliberately think, I am this person, I am me, and I ha- and then I can think of all the things that I don't like about myself, the weaknesses, faults, habits that aren't very good. Uh, Things like that. There's anger, and there's uh, anxiety, and there's uh, um, fear, and jealousy, and things like this. And and I shouldn't be like this. I want to be somebody who is fearless. Then I want to become somebody who's you know really uh, noble and good. And I want to become somebody who who does not. Uh, lower one's mind into states of jealousy, but is always joyful at the at the goodness of of other humans. And I want to become somebody who doesn't get angry, who feels only love for all beings equally, who is the ideal. Well, it can be very high-minded, isn't it, to, to want to become this, this idealized person that is a saint, a perfect person that is full of love and understanding, compassion, kindness, joyfulness. And then when I look at myself as a, as a person in the presence and can see, feel all kinds of uh, lower emotional habits coming forth into consciousness, they're oftentimes quite petty or not very nice at all. And then we think, we've got a long way to go because, you know, we still have these emotions and uh, uh, far away from that ideal, that perfect ideal that I have of what I should become or should be. Just by consciously thinking it out, you can, that which is aware, this you listen to yourself creating this idealized person and then comparing the realities of what you think you are or the, the conventional realities of what you think you are with the ideal and always feeling somehow uh, kind of despairing in comparison to the ideal. This this is what you create, isn't it? It's a creation that you do. You're making this up in your mind now. So, the, the awareness is the vehicle rather than the ideal. We're not trying to become something, but to trust in, in our ability to pay attention to life as we're experiencing it. So we're not trying to become perfect bhikkhus and perfect siladharas and and all loving kind of beings, and even though these are very lovely ideals, it's not a not a, any judgment against it. But we can observe what we can know is the desire to become something, desire to get rid of our bad habits. So this awakened state is is what the Buddha is pointing to. He isn't pointing to some future goal 
that we become, but this uh, the, the the awakened mind in the present, which is now. There's not matter of, of of becoming somebody who's mindful by practicing meditation, but by being mindful right now of whatever it is. So whatever way you're feeling, whether you're feeling uh, full of inspiration, hope, uh, positive feelings, optimistic ideas, or you're feeling despair, hopeless, depressed, anguished, fed up, or you're just feeling bored and uh, indifferent, weary, the fact that you can be aware of what you are feeling, that which is aware, is not the same as the feeling that you're witnessing to. So this is important to know that a feeling is is a changing condition in the present. We don't feel the same all the time, do we? we feelings are are mercurial, aren't they? They change all the time. You can feel high one moment and depressed the next. But awareness doesn't have a, it isn't, isn't, isn't a feeling, it's not, not something you can't be aware of being aware, but you can be aware. It's like you can't uh, be aware of awake, of awakeness, but you're awake. And so, to recognize and, and appreciate and to value this awakened state of just attention in the present. It's not a, a, a refined state that takes years to develop and something that, that, that you have to have supportive conditions for. It's not what we want, oftentimes in monastic life, is just a lot of tranquility peace of mind, uh, harmony. Uh, you hear the people crying out, we want harmony, we want peace. Uh, we don't want disharmony. We want, we want uh, this ideal of, of a real a concentrated mind, tranquilized mental state. And so anything that disrupts it is seen as a threat or an enemy or what we don't want. But in knowing the world from the way the, the world is the world, you know, the world is uh, is something that changes and we we can't, you know, we, we try how much we try to control it and make everything so it's beautiful, pleasant, uh, harmonious, uh, all this, it, we can't, we can't keep it that way. And then some of the most miserable people are people who are trying to control everything so, so that they can feel safe and secure. They're cr- control freaks. They want to, to manipulate conditions always for their own benefit. But with mindfulness, then we're no longer preferring one thing, we're not following preferences, but opening to the flow of experience. So it includes disharmony, harmony, 
peacefulness, uh, war, uh, boredom, and, and all possible, the whole gamut from A to Z in terms of changing conditions emotionally uh, from refined to most refined to the most coarse. So a mindfulness then is is opening to life as a as a flowing experience rather than trying to control experience so that we uh, to try to control it to make it into what we want it to be as some ideal we have following some ideal. So that takes an act of trust, doesn't it? To trust in this present moment. How many of you really trust yourselves to do this? Or you say, well, you know, I've got a lot of problems here. I've still got to work out this and that problem about authority, about my anger and about um, fear and stress. And I need to, to, you know, do something about all these first before I can ever really be mindful. That's another creation, isn't it? The fact that we, there's always something, even on a personal level, we have to do. And, and it always seems to be important. But if we trust in this, the, the awareness of this, this feeling of the bhavadana, vipavadana, or these are desires for becoming or desires for getting rid of, All Dhamma-dhamma, that's the endlessly seeking pleasure through the senses, sensual pleasure. <clears throat> As I've said before, dhamma or desire isn't something we're, we're even trying to get rid of dhamma. We're not trying to get rid of desire and have no desires. Because uh, this is a desire realm. This is a realm of desire that we're that we're existing in at this time. This, you know, wanting to get rid of desire is, is another desire. So, since there's so much desire, this, the, the natural state of this realm is desire, then we study desire, we get to know desire. We become experts on desire. And that which knows desire is not desire, isn't it? And so this awakened awareness, no desire, karma dana, bhava dana, dana. You know it, you know exactly what it is, what it feels like. And then, uh, and so by knowing, then we, we break through the the tendency to just be intimidated, lost, and enslaved by the desires. If we don't understand desire, we don't know what it is, we don't even know what it feels like, then we merely just uh, helplessly caught into it. You know, trying to, getting lost in following it or trying to get rid of it, trying to control it, judging it. Then the second noble truth is this uh, investigation of the three kinds of desire. This is not 
the the inside is letting go, but letting go isn't isn't an, uh, getting rid of. It's willing to look at desire and 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 really know it, take an interest in it. What does it feel like? What is it? What is it anyway? Uh, like Bhavan Dhanla, this, this kind of ambition or desire to become something, this feeling I've got to do something. That's a, that's a desire. There's something I have to do yet. I need to do something. That kind of compulsiveness that we have. And the, the, you know, I found in my own life, just felt, what, what a compulsive uh, person. The compulsive habits I had. I just always there's something I've got to do. Something more to do. This, this kind of, and it always seemed like you know the, you know no matter how much you did, there was still more because this was never seen any, and it was believed in. It, it would be intimidating. So it was always like. Parting me, never, never give any peace. So then you get fed up with with always with the compulsive the things that always feeling you have to do something. You know, I don't care anymore, and you go the opposite direction, just annihilate everything. Fed up, don't care anymore. Not even going to try anymore. It's all a rubbish anyway. Meditation, waste of time, religion, just eat, drink, and be merry. You only got one life, just go out and live it up. Job of the Buddha. <laughs> so that, the desire to get rid of, isn't it? Desire to, to, to we say letting go is, is in this term means like to just get rid of something you don't like or you don't want to be bothered with it because you know, the other, it just puts you back into the compulsive kind of endless compulsive habits that never seem to cease. So instead of just going from one extreme to the other, we awaken to these extremes. We observe them. We witness them. We notice them. And this is what sati, uh, sampachanya, mindfulness, comprehension, Observing, knowing the way it really is. And when you trust in, the, in, in that simple, simple ability we have to pay attention to life, it's very simple, there's not, nothing complicated about it. So it's not like asking you to do something uh, that you can't do, but it's encouraging you to do something that is quite simple, but not recognized often, and not appreciated, not valued, because we've been brought up to to uh, always think that we've got to be doing something. We've got to 
trying to get get something we don't have yet or get rid of something we have that we shouldn't have now. Now you can see in those samana life, the monastic life, is if you're really using the life properly, then you 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 look you look at your you use your robes, the shaven head, the convention, not as some kind of personal identity, because then it doesn't work. It's the same, just as a costume you're putting on. You know, just to, I'm now a monk rather than a lay person, and then, then I'm putting on a different, uh, wear this, this robe and, and act like a monk, become a Buddhist monk. Which is easy to do, isn't it? If, if you're just following the momentum of your habits, that's what happens. You just become some kind of monk or some kind of nun. And then you judge yourself accordingly to ideals about what a good monk should be, a good nun is like this. And in, in, in any tradition they hold up kind of um, role models for us. So you have, uh, you know, Ajahn this and Ajahn that and so forth. It's kind of, you know, when, especially when somebody's dead, they they get uh, placed among the stars. So, you, you know, like Ajahn Chah now is, is, is a, has had this apotheosis. He's now up among the stars. He's in the sky. And so people quote Ajahn Chah and, and, uh, and, he, and he's a role model for us as, as Samana. But if you're actually living with somebody, then you see, you don't see them anymore as being up in the stars, but you see them as a human, just like yourself. The human condition is like this. We're not, I'm not a star up in, up in the sky. A human, a blood going through my veins, just like everyone else. Nerve endings, uh, pain and pleasure, getting old. And all the rest is just uh, all the functions of the human body uh, we have in common. They're not ideal, are they? They're not what you can get recorded in the in the in the uh, biographies. But yeah, and we can usually select the best moments when when they when they. These great people have, uh, you know, you, you, you don't you don't keep a running a commentary on the daily life of any Buddhist monk. You pick and choose, and so the, the kind of things that even even the faults become kind of heroic in a in a in a biography. So what I'm pointing to is is uh, using this form not as an identity. Or if you are, to see that, see how easily you identify or compare yourself with others. Uh, is, well, is this monk as good as that monk? 
or sometimes we we think you know I've been through where I think I'm I'm a better monk than than other monks. Sometimes I think I'm not as good a monk as that monk. I remember in the early years living with a with a monk that I thought I looked down on. He was a senior to me, and I thought he's not he's not serious like I am. He's not he's he's got bad habits that I don't have. I started feeling kind of, you know, snooty and supercilious. Being myself is is a kind of step above that one. And then you see some other monk that he's really a good monk. He really practices hard. He's the he's really, really the best. You know, he's really what we all should be. Is like him. And so we compare. Oh, this is this is worldly. This is a this is like becoming a monk, isn't it? Becoming a nun by comparing ourselves with other people, other monks or nuns that we see as people, as and, and, and evaluate as being better or worse, good or bad. But what we can be aware of is is, is just that alone of our own need, uh, the tendency of the mind to compare, to see oneself in terms of ideals or ideas, what should or shouldn't be. And then that's usually in the monastic form as a, as a, as a convention to help you to break through the Sakaya Ditti, the personality uh, habits that you have. Rather than just developing a, a set of Buddhist monk monk habits, people criticize religious conventions, or they they can see you know in. The, all of us have been, you know, critical, say, of maybe our own religious background. And, or, you know, we can, we have our preferences among the Buddhists, the Buddhist world, and, and uh, we have views about, uh, we hold views about monasticism, its value or its worthlessness or whatever. But these are also these kind of views are seen as views rather than 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 operating from these views. So, in terms of right view, is not having any view. Is we don't need to have any viewpoint. We just know a view is a view, whatever. It's either might be a good view or a bad view, right or wrong view. But when we talk about samadhiti in the terms of the Eightfold Path, or this is called right view, or now maybe it's better to say perfect view, which is not having any viewpoint at all, but trusting in this awareness, the moment now, the open mind, the the uh, the attention, the pure presence of this moment, 
which isn't any viewpoint, is it? It's not like a thought or an idea or or a condition that we are, we're attaching to. It's an imminent act. It's just paying attention to life right now, before, without without any uh, kind of value judgments about yourself. Or if you are, if you're creating yourself and judging yourself right now, be aware of that. Pay attention that this is this is a habit rather than a reality. So the thing with, with, with uh, human beings is that we become creatures of habit. And so we, we, you know, we get conditioned uh, when we're born to think. We have our language, we have our, our social and cultural conditioning that we acquire. And we become habituated to it, identified with it. And so you can't trust any of it. None of it's trustworthy. Uh, cultural conditioning, social conditioning, any of it. Not a, not a, none of it is worth attaching to and using that as your uh, modus operandi. But to be aware of that, that pure, attentive, awakened awareness in the present, because then you're, then the, that, that embraces all the uh, cultural conditioning, social conditioning that you've acquired. So you're not operating from a position, not even the position of being a Buddhist. Even the convention of being a Buddhist is, is merely a convention, not something to attach to. So rather than, than holding on to the viewpoint of being a Buddhist, awareness of, of that viewpoint is enough. Or even to, to hold the view that you're not a Buddhist is still another viewpoint. That's <laughs> pointing to something very simple and immediate. But overlooked, ignored, not recognized, not appreciated until we're encouraged to do that. Until we, we have this, this encouragement. So this, uh, reflection this evening is, is an encouragement for that. It's not, not a command uh, or uh, you know, it's not a matter of that you should do this or have to do this, but it's an encouragement pointing to uh, the possibility. Because the reason you come here, isn't it? Why do you come to a place like this? Because there is a sense of the, that there's something, uh, you have this, something you has awakened already. Some there's this aspiration and this this uh, kind of intuitive sense that brings us to situations like this.
So I offer this as a reflection for this evening. 